You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. A new equation for switching on outcomes is here from PwC. It's human-led and tech-powered. It's PwC with Oracle, SAP, Salesforce, and Workday. It's PwC with Microsoft, AWS, and Google. Simplify your systems and amplify your results. Switch on outcomes with PwC and their alliances. Learn more at pwc.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. All right, so I can't tell you guys exactly with any certainty what my favorite day of the week is anymore because I have, I'm have i enjoying all these episodes. I particularly like talking to Dan on Wednesdays. So that one's great. He's in person, comes in the studio. But on the other hand, talking to Tim from Under Oath is always one of my favorite things to do. And uh, today, the, the conversation was really good. I'm going to apologize for some spottiness in his Skype feed. He was just on his mobile from Skype. Uh, he's on vacation. He's in Florida, and he was just walking around with Wi-Fi at his hotel and gracious enough to give us uh, some time today. So you will forgive that, I hope. Uh, but it's pretty, a pretty amazing thing, and Tim is really fun to talk to today. And I'll, I'll uh, sort out one other thing. This title of this episode, I'm just letting you guys know, we don't have to, this episode may be about some more technical and specific, and it's a, not the most humorous podcast in the world, but we don't take ourselves that seriously here. And that's something I want to impart over time is that this podcast can be fun too. So the episode, you'll have to wait and see, but Tim does actually say later in the episode, uh, there's a direct quote from him, is I want to stab an old lady. So you have to find where that is. But that's that explains the title, lest you be worried about the, the goofy title um, on the episode today. So he'll be up here in just a minute. I want to tell you about Broadcast Supply Worldwide before we get go any further. Broadcast Supply Worldwide is my sponsor for this podcast. They're the title sponsor. They're the, the one that makes this thing happen right now. Uh, I have a banner of them in my studio. The website is bswusa.com. It's where I get and where you should get all of your uh, recording and podcast and, and audio gear. Uh, I really appreciate them. And I, here's the thing I found. They're better than the other online retailers. Their prices are already great. On top of that, they have great phone service that answers a bunch of questions. They've been doing broadcasting business stuff since 1973. They have a huge warehouse with thousands of items in stock. They have custom bundles, podcast exclusives, and everything you need to do any kind of broadcast or podcast. So um, they have how-to videos over there. They take this stuff really, really seriously. They're very specialized into broadcasting and, and podcasting. They have a warehouse in 
in Ohio and the shipments can get almost anywhere in a day or two. Uh, if you spend over $99, you get free ground shipping just from that alone. Sales reps always on the phone. Uh, it's great. And I'll tell you what, this is what really takes the cake. Other than good service, good products, uh, help, and great prices, you get 10% off of anything you do in podcasting if you use my promo code DOWN. So it helps me, and it helps you, and it's just something I would strongly urge everybody to do is go to bswusa.com, and that's where you buy your audio gear. Thank you. Also, really quickly, joeysturgistones.com. They also sponsor this podcast and make great audio software. So go check that out, and I'll tell you more about them another time. But Joey Sturgis Tones, and I think Joey's going to come on the show, so I'm excited to talk to him about music, producing, and, and his company too. So additionally, the only other couple things I want to tell you guys before we start in with Tim here, and that is uh, Emory, my band, is still doing a crowdfund at the moment. There's just a few days left in that. And we've raised a ton of money. We really have. It's already been a, a total success. And I think if we could raise even more money, then I promise you, we will use it for good. We will do something good with it. There's plenty of places for the money to go around and more things we'd be able to do if we can push this thing over the top. I'm personally just hoping we make uh, raise the same amount we did last time. So, and we're very close and it looks like we'll be more successful with our second crowdfunding campaign for this record than we were with the previous. So, all good news. Good news on this show and the numbers and the audience. Everything's going super well and I'm genuinely and sincerely thankful to everybody for that. And then the last thing is... I just released, I uh, just did a podcast for Tooth and Nail Records. Toby and I and Aaron Lunsford and uh, Billy Power have developed a whole show for Tooth and Nail Records, a podcast for them, and it's turned out great. Uh, maybe I mentioned it yesterday, but I might play the teaser again at the end of this episode. It's going to be amazing. We've got episodes about Under Oath and the time that they left Warp Tour and broke up or almost broke up. We have stuff about Me Without You, interviews with Brandon Ebel and Chad Johnson. We, we really go through and tell all the stories and folklore and legends of bands that have been on Tooth & Nail. I'm excited about that project. And so it'll be out really soon. The teaser is up now. And I ask everybody that would to please go subscribe to it and be ready for it. it help everybody out. Uh, thank you guys for being a part of this. Let's uh, go on to the episode. Here we go. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 So yeah, we're on, we're on, we're live. We're making a podcast here. So Tim, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little. I'm a little frustrated and irritated if I'm really sitting here in my rainy studio in Seattle and you're on, like last week you were in LA walking around with palm trees playing a show yeah. for like 10,000 people. And then this week, am I right or wrong? Are you like at, at the beach, Cabana in Mexico or something? Where are you? I'm just sipping some freaking vodka soda with lime in this grand resort, son. Where are you? What city? Uh, um, Cape Canaveral, Space Town, and uh, where the space shuttles go off in Florida. We, oh, uh, man. we just got off a super long tour with Bring Me the Horizon. It was super successful, but also super draining. So I promised my wife and kids we'd go on a vacation, and you and I had already blocked out Thursdays. So I told them this is my main thing I got to do, and then we're jumping in the pool, doing water slides, going to the beach, doing the whole nine yards. I just, I, you know, 
I don't know that I'd be able to pull this off. I, I, I think my wife would probably kill me if I was if I was doing that. Maybe she's occupied or you have a cooler wife than me. I feel like she'd kill me yeah. if I got off tour and took her on a vacation because I'd been gone and then I still had to do a bunch of work or be on yeah, the podcast. No. Elizabeth and Bridget are actually the same type of person, but yeah, they're they're, they're both super sweet. And uh, I've known your wife for, geez, yeah, 15 years or 10 years probably, but yeah, they're about the same. She doesn't love it, but I mean, it's always a balance <laughs> where, you know, she understands that the only reason why we can even come here is because of the things that we do. And, you know, and she knows it's a passion of mine, too, to just kind of always be creative and doing stuff. So she's really good at supporting me. And I'm also really good at knowing, like, that fine line of when enough is enough and really making, you know, the yeah. family the priority and just saying no. And that's a huge thing yeah, I've learned over the last right five about years. That. You're probably right about that. There's one other factor that makes it go over smoother with you than me is uh, I come home from tour with Emory money, and you come home from tour with Under Oath money. So that that's that's got to help. <laughs> that's true, yeah. I, uh, I come home from tour and take her to Red Robin and, and say, you better not complain. <laughs> this half meal better be enough. <laughs> yeah, it better be. That is, no, that is too cool, but it really shit. does – it does bring up the question of like just the whole thing of balancing work. I mean, because you're, you're doing work now, and, and I know you said this is just your thing, but you were also, you just texted me, you were on a, another call before this. So it's got to be hard to do. But the problem I have, and maybe you have the same one, is all of my work stuff is with my friends and people I like and people I know. Yeah. And so it's gotten to the point where that's so blurry that I don't, I just there's just no difference and 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 every almost everything goes through messaging and text these days for me emails yeah. so slim that I get texts all the time from people that I send, that I seem like a jerk if I'm ignoring but so much business comes through very very personal channels for me like phone calls and texts that seems totally. like everything I do is over that and there's just no distinction I, I I'm not doing a great job of managing it to be honest so yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. I mean, I think that's something we all have to battle. And I really think the larger component of, like, just work and personal always melding is it, – it's cool, right? So, like, the funny stuff that you could talk about is just everything I do is deductible. Like, yep. I'm this vacation's deductible. I came here to not only work, but I also run my wife and kids, but then I have other jobs, like, within this context. So, this is my mobile office. So – it's really interesting when you you know go to do taxes and you're like pretty much everything I did all year had something to do with work, and you just mm -hmm. want to be like a really honest dude, but you also recognize like everything, every meal I buy, every drink I buy, it's generally somehow related to work because I work with all my friends, and that's like the best part. The worst part is you don't have friends. <laughs> you only have yeah. That's, only what, that's what I keep wondering. I say, wait a minute, you know? are these people my friends or maybe they're not my like I think of them as they're my friends. That's like fundamentally question. Like wait a minute. Are yeah. me and Tim friends? Are we friends? Are, are me and Toby friends? Or is, am I just yeah. valuable to him in business? I mean, I don't even know. Sometimes I get that freaked out about it. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I mean, and I think the litmus test there is like, you know, you and I talk more now because obviously we're doing a weekly podcast for, you know, the next three, four or five weeks or however long yeah. we do or keep it going or not, uh, depending on whatever. But, you know, I think we talk more now than we ever did. But for the, you know, eight or nine years, we were just label mates. Like, you and I would just go chill and grab beers and, like, geek out on guitar gear or touring mm -hmm. ideas. And you kind of managed Emery, and I kind of managed Under Oath alongside our respective teams and still kind of do. You manage Emery actually now, and I still am just kind of the guy in the band that does more than maybe some other guys in the band. Um, yeah. So we, we, would, we were always friends for a long time. But then, yeah, as soon as... 
there's mutual interest or a creative collaborative idea, now we're talking more and more and more. So I think that's up friendship, and it also complicates it when things go weird. Um, yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, when Under Oath broke up, I saw Grant and James and Chris regularly. Never really saw Aaron and Spee. Obviously, Aaron was in Pimmore and Spencer lives in New York, but all in all, we were still friends. But now that we're touring again, it's very much, you know, the, the intensity and the frequency of friendship uh, has been doubled down on by professional interests as well. So it is a yeah. really interesting scenario. And some people, I guess, like to have a work-life balance, but it's just, I don't know if that's even, it doesn't even make sense other than I need to put my phone down when I get home in the afternoon. I understand that. But it's, you know, a lot of people like to have their categories very separate so they could just get away from work and stuff like that. But for me, it's just kind of always been the opposite. I'm always looking to involve more people I like. And I think that's yeah. what friendship is. It's like being in war or battle or doing a, you put your heads together and move in a direction and then you become you have a relationship. I mean, even marriage is that way. It's like yeah. we've partnered together to accomplish a task. We've decided some things that we're doing and some things that we're not doing. Here we go. And then closeness and relationship yeah. are forged in that. I don't like. I have no social life that I think of as ha. My friends that are I just engage with for the sake of pure friendship. I don't really. I don't even know if I have that. Yeah. There's no random accountant that you only see when you guys have your movie dates once a month. Like, that just right. doesn't exist for you. That's right. Or me. Yeah, and I think I think the difference is, like, a lot of people need to separate work and pleasure because their work isn't pleasurable. And it weighs them True. down, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, you know, I work with, you know, all of my friends. I mean, I'm in a band with five of my best friends. I work for Andy Minio as part of his management team and he and I have become I see a similar thing Andy and I were friends for years then we started working together and I started helping him build his career and now we're really really good friends and it's just because we have to talk more and we have to like learn each other's things more but we were always friends mm-hmm. or at least acquaintances I would I would you know venture to say but now it's escalated to a point where we're like our entire team, Zeke, Dell, we have this super rad like A squad and we all pull different weights. And, and we've become really good friends over the last year just because we've had to talk almost every day or multiple times a day. Um, and similar with King State with Nate, uh, you know, Nate Young from Amberlynn, who I don't know if we've talked mm-hmm. about that on your podcast or not, but, you know, we're brother-in-laws. We've been friends for like 18 years and now we're business partners. And it's, it's really just a natural progression because I think the difference between people like you and I and everyone else in our circles and like a normal nine to five job is like we work twice as much as people we love. And I think that's the difference, you know? And I think there is like some scenarios where, yeah, I might make more money than X guy every once in a while, but damn sure I've worked three times as hard as that dude. So when you break it out hour for hour, yeah, I'm probably making minimum wage. I've just worked 10,000 hours for five years and got nothing for it. You know what yep. I mean? No, so, that's for sure. I think that's, that's really good perspective to keep. That doesn't ever make you rethink what you do, right? I mean, you went, you went at some point when Under Oath stopped, you were looking at what I would call going straight or no? Like you were looking for a normal job? Yeah, I had a normal job. You were trying to I mean, build that with merch yeah. line and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I worked for my friend Nate for five years, and James, our uh-huh. guitar player, still works there. Mm-hmm. And all of my best friends work there. Jay from the Almost works there. Yeah. Um, it's just a great company to work for and to work alongside. But yeah, I mean, if you get so burnt out on the entrepreneurial build your own thing grind, 
that they just need that consistency. And by the time I started working for Merchline, I was there. I felt like I was there, you know? Um, I felt like I was in a spot where I had toured for so long and, you know, just kind of got burnt out. And, you know, if you go out for one or two tours a year and you make decent money, it's one thing. But when you have to tour 10 months a year just to pay your bills, that's another. Um, and we just got so burnt out. We had families. I was just like, I just need something that's consistent. And, you know, I built my life around that, too. I mean, when we all bought houses or had a little bit of a good pocket in our career, I specifically remember going, I want to be able to survive on, like, a fraction of the money I'm making this year because this year mm -hmm. is not the norm. It's an exception. And I have to prepare for that. So I bought a, you know, a very – I have a nice house, but I bought a very modest house in comparison um, – to what we were being offered by banks and things like that. And just all in all, just kind of built my life to where I could go somewhere and make a specific amount of money, a reasonable amount of money that anyone can do that works hard and still live comfortably. And that's what I did. And I did that for five or six years and really just started getting a little stir crazy. And I think really? the one thing, yeah. And I think the one thing that we, I realized is like when you own your own band, when you're, when you co-own your own band, um, you own your own businesses, you become really unemployable really fast. And I think, like, people like you, I mean, I can't imagine you ever having a manager and then an assistant manager and then a department manager that you have a hierarchy of, like, Matt Carter shows up here, he does these things. When he steps over here, he gets written up and gets deducted or gets PTO. It's like, dude, if I want to take two weeks off, I just take two weeks off. You know, and it's up to me to make sure the ship doesn't go down. And if it goes down, then I get fired. And I mm -hmm. think that's a really cool, um, you know, dichotomy because I think I thrive in those scenarios where I'm. Uh, that's interesting. I'm never, I'm never not going to come to the table and get the work done. But sometimes I'll do it at midnight. And sometimes I'll do it at five a.m. And sometimes I'll do it from twelve to five or nine to five, like a normal person. Yeah. Uh, I guess that maybe what that hinges on is just the word responsibility is what pops into my head there. So you take complete responsibility, whereas if you're working for somebody else, you're like, well, they hired me to do this, and this is what I do. So you never, you can't, you just matter-of-factly can't be as productive. Um, and it's also just not immersive of a, a thing. Like, um, Yeah, totally. I was thinking about this way earlier this week is you need, if you're going to, do your own thing you have to you just have to be a person that kind of thrives in chaos for one and then secondly the yeah, thing sure. that makes that pays the dividends is the thing like you ever know when you're you're starting to buy a new car and you're looking at getting a land cruiser let's say mm -hmm. and how many you'll notice driving on the road for instance right yeah. You know that phenomenon 100%. when you, you start looking at houses and yeah. then you analyze every house and what it must be worth. So whatever you a, it is you have a that Camry and all of a sudden you can't not see Camrys. It's all or if you're researching Camry. So whatever you're doing uh -huh. is that and anything that you're doing for your own self, you know, if you're an immersive person that takes responsibility, it pays off so big that once you're immersed in things, not for 8 hours a day, but 24 hours a day and it's pleasurable, then all the other ancillary things that could be considered work they don't feel like work, but they all contribute. So maybe if I'm researching a topic totally. or interested in a field like podcasting, all day, every day, if I see a good artwork somewhere for something in a coffee shop, I go, oh, that really sticks out. I wonder if my podcast could have art like totally. that. Or, you know, it's just it's in everything's in your brain and you notice everything. Oh, that guy articulated a thing that way. Maybe I should try that. That's an interesting word. Or, yep. man, I'm interested in the topic of 
uh, philosophy this week, but I'm interested in it. But if somebody said, "Hey, you yeah. need to read two books on philosophy, so your podcast will be so you'll be better at your accounting job on your own time," it'd be like, "Hell no, of course not." So there's a there's a collaborative totally. effect if you are enjoying playing guitar and learning about guitar pedals. Um, it's not. Yeah. You, you, there's no possibility of doing that and thinking of it as work and and being sustained. There's just no way you could do that. You couldn't totally. Do it. And I, yeah, and I think that like. I think there's also a huge push for me in like surrounding yourself with creative people. Like I was just talking to Grant, um, our bass player about this, you know, Grant, but for everyone who doesn't know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we were just talking about different lives and different paths that like certain people take, um, you know, some of the different paths he's taken versus what I've taken and vice versa. Some have been good for me and bad for him and some have been great for him and bad for me and all of that. Um, but the one thing I realized is like the pattern with all of us is that we've all done things based on the company we keep, you know, and I've always uh-huh. been, and I think we touched on this last week when we were talking about, you know, music and movement and things like that. But it's like, I've always been for friends in the band, you know, I've always been, I've always been uh, the booking agent's friend, the manager's friend. So, most of our conversations when we see each other for two hours have always been, you know, things we're working on, ideas we have, trying to figure out how to make things come to life. So it's almost wired my brain to really, like, understand that that's really what we're all doing here, at least in the music industry and the creative space. Is like everyone has a thousand ideas, but the people that are making the ideas happen are the people that have yeah. real value. And yeah, that's like, right. There, yeah, I read that you know, somewhere. Maybe I said it, but there's that somebody said there's no such thing as an idea man. That's not a job. Doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm the I'm I'm the visionary. Well, that's really cool. But like, there's a thousand visionaries, you know. Yeah. And I think visionaries that get quoted as visionaries or titled visionaries are people that are had vision and then also had a means of executing. And that's mm-hmm. something that I've learned. It's like not just surrounding yourself with people that feed into a positive way of achieving a goal whether it be writing a record managing an artist starting a coffee company starting a podcast opening a bar starting a whatever real estate game anything you want to do you not only have to surround yourself with people that have done it alongside you better worse all of that but then there's this whole other wing where you also have to recognize your weaknesses and everyone knows what they know but a lot of people aren't willing to deep dive into their own like psyche and know what they don't know oh yeah. and i think like for me something i've learned is like when i stop trying to be the john wayne of every single facet of my business or my partnership with someone or my assistance to someone um i realize that like i'm more effective at my job for instance with like andy minio like i'm not an accountant but i know the best accountants and the business man- best business managers in the world my mm-hmm. job in that role isn't to tell a bunch of people I got it taken care of. It's like, dude, I know who to go to and I'm going to put all of these people around us that are better than us at every single one of their fields. And that's why we pay them. It's not an expense. It's an investment for a more stable long-term business. Mm-hmm. Similar with King State's coffee company or bad Christian or breaking down the podcast. It's like, you could do all of it probably, but you do the, these two things that only you can do and then rest and learning your weaknesses and your strengths and That's going, right. 
I don't want anyone to try to touch my strengths, but I definitely am fully okay with talking about my weaknesses, and I would more than gladly give that up along with a bunch of my own money just so I don't have to deal with it and I can run in the one way that I can do. Yeah. And that's really important, and that's where people get held up. Is, yeah, people but people hear that wrong. Everybody. Sorry, we're having a little glitch again, but the, it's people hear that wrong and think, I don't have to do what I don't want to do. I just pay people to do stuff. I mean, you're privileged to know no. that if you do so, get yourself supported right, you probably are going to be successful anyway because you already have a track record and have had success. And, you know, somebody starting out doesn't just go farm out and be able to pay everybody and expect it to ever work <laughs> out kind of thing. So we, we come from a privileged position when we say that. But I just think that, you know, it's taken me exactly my whole life to even begin to learn how to let go of stuff. But had I not been a control freak for the period of time that I was, I wouldn't have learned all the things that I know that I know to let go of. So that's part of the balance of it as well. You know, there you like go. I, I never say there accounting. Yeah, I don't know anything like, about accounting. Yeah. I say, well, I, I know a pretty decent amount about accounting and I hate it is what I, that's what I know. It's not, it's not that, <laughs> well, that's not my expert field. I mean, I, I do yeah. get it. I hate it. Yeah. You know, basically. Totally. I mean, I've done accounting for two businesses now, and I know that it's a chore, and it's not something I enjoy, but beyond that, there's other people that are better at it, and I lose yeah. money every year that I try to file my own taxes by myself because someone else knows how to do it better. Someone else yeah. knows how to manage purchases better or financing better, so it saves you money in the long run, and I, yeah, you only know that because you've already done every single aspect of the business mm -hmm. yourself for a decade, and now you can really have honest introspection mm -hmm. as a I, business I don't know. owner or an idea man or a visionary yeah the other thing that's interesting that's come to me lately and i know you're on this wavelength too as we've discussed it but it's like the way i negotiate has changed almost entirely but after after doing this bad christian thing and getting it going and working with so many friends where they're actually dependent on you and it's not just a band, but it's all these other things. My negotiating used to just be just try to get stuff as cheap as you can or whatever. And now yeah. it's, I don't, I just don't use that anymore. I just, unless it's somebody I don't know and have no affiliation from, and then it's like, whatever. I mean, it's, you know, I'd like to get the highest deal I could on a, some, whatever, one off deal with some company I don't know or something, uh, or even Television, a freelance yeah. thing that nobody, you know. But um, in general, if I'm going to have to work with the people, I have to, give them at least as much money as that they will be stoked. I can't have anybody around me or my culture that feels like I'm not getting a, my fair share. I, that'll ruin the whole culture. So if, it's a, if you're one of my friends that I text with and we have a money deal, my question is not, here's what I offer you. It's like, here's, the way I, here's the way I always phrase it lately, and it's worked so far, is what is the minimum amount of money that you will need to where you're stoked to do this completely? Sure. What's the lowest amount of money where you will be stoked to be doing this? And then if, yeah. if I can't afford it, I can't afford it. I understand that. But I don't want you to do it for really less. I don't want you to. And then that's really been working out yeah. for me lately so far. There's probably some stuff I need to tweak, but that's, that's a premise I've been using to negotiate lately. Yeah, and what's really cool is what, what that type of ethos does. And sorry if it's glitchy. I'm hearing you perfect. No, so it's, I hope it's that okay. I'm coming back perfect. Yeah, you're okay. um, I mean, you have like you have Bunda and Reba and all these people, and I mean, I think they're all sitting even right behind you. The cool thing about like knowing where you're coming from and knowing that it's like honest and communal based, even though you have a business to run and your goal is to make money on top of all the expenses you pay everyone else, is that you can have conversations like this in public, and there's not anything weird. 
you're not talking yep. about that's right well how do i get a raise like what if i what if i'm the ad guy and that we go from uh 25 million dollars a year in ads to 500 million like how am i going to get compensated like there's a very clear dialogue of like dude i gotta make this ship float which means i can't give you everything you ever want because if i gave you that like nothing works but there's mm-hmm. also this really cool thing of like i'm not coming at you to get the most out of you for the least money i can pay you and make you get a second job around christmas and i'm just sitting here bawling you know and i think yeah. that's really important and like we've always run our businesses like that i mean as me personally and then under oath and all of our friends it's like i remember randy coming to us in like 2005 going you have the highest paid crew in the scene like what the yeah, hell are you guys doing you've always been crazy with that yeah and it's like but these people make our show go off without a hitch beyond that like they're my friends like I know I could probably get a drum tech for $400 and an internship credit from some drum school, but like, no, like our dudes are going to make like really, really good. What money. do you pay a drum tech range? You don't have to say um, a specific guy, but what kind of, what kind of money do you pay a drum tech? Uh, drum techs normally, I think in our area get between 500 and 700, I would say. Uh-huh. And we're at about a thousand. Um, and I don't have anything about money. Like I don't care about money. I, I think when people get weird about money, it's because they care too much. It's like, you know, someone constantly drilling home that they, they're not an alcoholic. It's like, Oh, then you're actually the alcoholic. You know, it's like, I I think people that can't just be honest about things uh, have some weird issue with it. But yeah, I mean, we pay everyone in our crew makes a thousand dollars a week or more, which is more money than my dad's ever made in his life. (laughs) How much, how many people are on your crew? Uh, six. So uh-huh. we have probably about ten thousand to eleven thousand dollars a week just in personal salaries My gosh. for our people that are our friends just to make our show happen. So people hear, uh-huh. oh, they made five or ten or twenty thousand dollars last night. It's like, dude, yeah, we spent all of it on like everything: <laughs> the lights, the truck, the crew, the bus. And so, I mean, it's really funny. I think Aaron Lunsford even touched on that in his book that he wrote. He's like. Everyone thinks we're rich, and Under Oath is probably the closest band to being rich from our scene because they kind of became the biggest for a minute. And even yeah. those dudes finally just started making like what's considered good money. <laughs> now yeah. we're, just, and and I, I don't complain at all, but it's funny because you know you'll see a million dollars come in in like six months, and eighty percent of it is just gone, and then That's, the other twenty yeah. percent of it split seven ways. Yeah, you know between your manager and six members. So it's like there's there it is a it is a Tetris game, but yeah, I mean it's like those dudes crush and like and and those are those things come from you know just long lines of figuring that out and you know back in the day we pay always paid our drum tech six to seven fifty and we had dudes like working in the headlining bands that were making a hundred dollars less than our tech and it's like yeah i understand that because when you're the guy you have all the leverage you're the boss you own bad christian you own uh, break it down like you could fire everyone behind you and hire interns now because you could put a PSA and 40,000 people would hit you up you're not mm-hmm. doing that for a reason because you have ethics and you, it's not about like what good is a castle when there's no one to eat at the table with you know yeah. I'd rather make less money and have all my friends make enough money where on a day off we could all go get a five beers and like have a rage night and just decompress you know but when there's only one dude on the tour making money and you're at the cocktail bar yes, drinking that would be $15 so bad, Mai yeah. Tais alone that's, that's what right like would are. you would you want to like that's what i ask people a lot of times in myself said if this worked and was super successful would that be could that be bad you know like what would be bad about it like like what if i negotiated to get all the money and i did cool that would be horrible if it worked out 
It really would. It'd be isolating and it wouldn't even be good. So you got to be careful yeah. with, with that whole mentality of, I don't know, whatever that is. But for sure, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about another thing while you're on vacation here and shift gears. But tell me, about this, tell me about this VR stuff. I've been thinking a lot. I haven't ever touched VR and I don't know almost anything about it, but I find myself thinking about it a lot. But uh, tell me what you were talking about about VR earlier. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, just in the Rebirth Tour last year, a dude came with, like, a 360 camera and shot our set in VR. Ended up being pretty cool, but not, it was, like, kind of pre-market. Um, mm-hmm. And then this year, we went back to San Francisco, and a VR company came and shot for me the Horizon. But what's really interesting is that Chris, our keyboard player, has gotten really into VR. And he's actually mm-hmm. started a VR company with one of our developer friends from Orlando. It's going to be insane. Oh, like, i got to talk I, to him about this then. You give me 10 yeah. minutes of it, and I'll have him on sometime. Oh, dude, I mean, I can't, e- I can't even tell you about it because it's like, it's kind of, I don't know what it is, but there's like a bunch of NDA stuff, and yep. they're talking to like Oculus Rift guys and stuff. It's wild. But like anyway, we've been immersed in this just mainly through Chris, but then have a couple friends, mainly one of our friends, Joel from San Francisco. Um who works at a VR firm and he edits or he audits content and they work on a lot of other things. And he was just telling us all of these crazy things that are happening with VR technology now, all the way from like really weird, like sex stuff to like really cool sex stuff um, with like people that are in the military and like they have families back home and there's ways to like make that experience work in a really like I'm back home for a minute way all the way down to like the really gross stuff that we don't need to get into but like the really cool thing about it is like realizing how vast it is and then realizing how augmented our reality is already and then once we start living in VR and there's 360 cameras like at this resort that I'm at you could go to your local like vr spot and just get some mist and some heat sprayed on you and then just look around and feel like you're there without having me having to go there and that's a really extreme example but it was just blowing my mind because there's so much that that like mentality starts in your brain where you're like you could literally have a piece of glass on your face and feel like you're somewhere else and someone else whether it be good or bad or productive or non-productive and how real it's going to be makes you start questioning like our own reality, our own existence, all yep. of that stuff. Like, how mm-hmm. did we get here? And there's the whole AI loop scenario where as soon as we close the AI loop internally as a human race, we by and large put the odds that we're just an AI loop that thinks we're self-aware, but we're not right. like at a huge level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being people that were raised as like, uh, super conservative Christian people to believe that we're created and there's a purpose for everything and everyone decides everything they have versus this very interesting um, VR way of thinking. It's just really interesting. I think we're all yeah. deconstructing faith in a, in, a, in a pretty big way now. I don't think that like my parents' version of Christianity or my wife's parents' versions of Christianity are going to live past them. I think mm-hmm. a lot of those things will die with them I don't think it was good or bad. I just think it was a transitional point for the ideas. But mm-hmm. I also think it's like it's getting even weirder now where a lot of lines are being blurred and and not in a scary way, but more just in a like you kind of hit that holy shit moment where you're like, wow, like mm-hmm. this stuff is wild. It and seems we're gonna like be we're getting able to close. 
on VR because I've been paying attention to stuff like that for a long time. I think about it a lot, but I, I intentionally, mm-hmm. here's the thing that I do is I intentionally don't get into stuff that I know that I would get into. So I avoid yep. VR because it's, first of it all, I don't think it's there you. yet. And I would probably get way into it and I'd probably mm-hmm. spend a bunch of money and time on technology that's not quite there yet. But I'm, I, when, when, as soon as the people, the guinea pigs, the Chris's and the people out there are telling me it's ready and it's time to go and this is it, I want to be very early on it. And I think about it a lot. Um, but I don't want to get into it because I think it would be so consuming. I, in fact, I was an audio guy for so long, I made myself not touch cameras or learn what cameras were on purpose. Like I knew I would understand aperture mm-hmm. and frame rate. And I knew that's a thing that would be up my alley I could do, but I intentionally did not do it uh, until recently. Like I've gotten through the audio thing. I've done music now, podcasts. I was like, all right, bring some cameras in here. I'll start looking at, here we go. And now I, you know, they kind of understand video and cameras a bit. Lighting is the same way, but VR is a whole nother level. I mean, it's, yeah. it's going to be such a big deal in the future, and I can't. I just, it's just limitless what it's going to be. But the um, the thing that's the freakiest about totally. it to me is that uh, it 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 can't be. I don't think it'll be wrong. I don't even think it's scary. I just think it's going to be normal the same way that when you when you're texting, you just say I'm talking to Tim. Right. If yeah. I'm texting with you, I just say I'm sure. talking to Tim. And no, and yep. the first time texting came out, you just said, "What do you mean you're talking to him? You're just pushing buttons on a phone and sending some words across." The, that that's not talking, is what anybody. What you would have felt that was really foreign the first time you ever could have messaged somebody to refer to that as "I'm talking to them" would have been bizarro. And VR is the same thing. You say, "Oh, I'm at the beach in Mexico." What are you talking about? You're in VR, man. But you will be. You it will yep. become. That will blur so far that it just won't. You know. You say I'm doing this thing online, and somebody else would say, "No, you're sitting on a computer." No, I'm, I'm doing whatever I'm doing, and that's what VR yeah, is going to be. It's totally. going to be so immersive and so common that it's just the, the reality will be spoken of as realities without yep. even the caveat that, "Oh, I mean a VR version of that." That'll go away in five years once it happens. It'll, you won't have to specify that you're doing something in VR anymore. It'll just be re, it'll be considered real experience. Period. Yeah. And what, what's even inter- more interesting is that with that is like to add to that, like my wife and I have that conversation a lot with our kids. And yeah, she's super don't even think about the kids. She's It'll actually, be pure to them. Yeah, she's not she's not super conservative, but she's definitely like less into like dream casting, like the weird, like small uh, nuances of our life that will die with us and our kids will never know. But even like mm-hmm. thinking about like my kids are gonna grow up with like weed being like it's like yo let's get like three beers after the show like no problem you text your wife like hey babe love to talk grabbing some beers with matt i'll call you after like that's gonna be the same thing with weed with our kids they're gonna be like yo like let's go to (laughs) whatever and like smoke a blunt and then like let's go check out a movie and it's gonna be completely calm and then like even with the whole like homosexuality thing that everyone's still up in arms about it's like dude my kids are going to grow up and not even know the difference. They're just going to know that yeah. there's the one choice which is left and one choice that's right. And like, not like correct is in left and right is yeah. in a direction. Um, and that's basically it. And it's not yeah. a good or bad or like this big to do and race and all that. I think we're just constantly going to start ironing these things out. I hope. And I'm doing my part to do that to where my kids don't ever have to be faced with these weird, like, is it okay that I laugh at this? Or is it okay that I have a friend who's gay? Like, oh my God, like the world's ending. It's like, they're just mm-hmm. never even going to know. It's just like, it's not even going to be, oh, I have a gay friend. It's like, oh, that's my friend. Yeah, when someone asks, right. like, oh, he has a boyfriend. It's fine. 
you know? Um, and so it's really interesting. And then in the VR thing is like, like you said, that whole um, adaptation of that just being normal is going to happen. And then like, I think it's going to go even further, just similar to GoPros. But imagine a VR GoPro where instead of watching an Enduro show in VR, you can be me. <laughs> you can be Aaron. You yeah. could be Spencer. Like you could literally sit with a bag of potato chips, butt naked, with a huge piece of glasses on, and be Spencer in the front row. Like, so that would be the new version of Rock Band. Like, instead of Unrow songs on Rock Band, you're literally man. sitting on stage in Aaron's seat, and you have yeah. the opportunity to see if you can pull it off. And you get or to see like, Tim run up to you with his guitar and look at you and point at you, and you point back with the twirl of the drumstick and go right back into playing and see if you can pull off the, the, the vocals, too. I mean, Dude, so what? There's your opportunity to try. Yeah, and it's like it's gonna be a new like VIP experience. Like buy, yeah, that's, that's you know, horribly buy a, horrifying. Buy a though. ticket to LA and get a free VIP pass to your favorite member at any other show. We're gonna have mm-hmm. cameras on the whole tour, so it's like you get this really immersive experience that's bigger than watching a soundtrack or watching a documentary or watching a YouTube video update. It's like, dude, I'm watching this stuff real time, and then like there's gonna be some Fugazi punk rock bands like we don't charge we just put cameras everywhere and it's open source and like break the whole thing Weird. down again and it's like always going to be elevating and recycling um let me put a question my- to you and i'll let you go because i, I don't want to keep you long on vacation but let me say let me go back to something we talked about last week and tie exactly to what you're talking about right now last week we were discussing the energy when you get all those people together and the way that looks and feels and what's really oh, yeah. going on there Will that be simulator simulatable in VR? Just, like you'll have a crowd at. Will you feel, for instance, nervous or stage fright, yes. even though you know it's VR? Will it will it really be there? Or is there some inescapable part of the energy that's intangible or immaterial? And if so, that pa- we know that power is so addictive and attractive. If you had the ability to not work on playing guitar to get good to get fans, but you could walk into a VR thing and play for five thousand people, and they get to be James and play guitar with you at an under oath show what how would anybody ever not just start doing that right away and live there for the rest of their life like as powerful sure. as the power of the crowd and if, if those things can be recreated wouldn't it suck everybody in immediately just playing stadium arena video games instead of ever playing music or d- going on a date <laughs> yeah totally well so just to be clear i got a 10 percent battery warning like yep. five minutes We're, ago so if i cut no off, problem that's what happened and i'll see you, got you next week um thanks for listening no i think uh i think the biggest thing for me is like yeah it's gonna be so immersive and so my friend joel from san francisco the vr dude he brought this thing called a base pack right and so it's for vr it's for video games it's a base thing you strap to your body and it's a full like it looks like a camelback like those uh uh-huh. mountain bike things it's got multiple subwoofers and as the bass goes up and down, like if you listen to like an EDM or a hip hop song, and it's like bing, boom, bing, boom, it hits different parts of your back, which are scientifically placed there to make you feel like it's going up and then down. And you literally oh. feel like you're sitting next to a subwoofer. So imagine like as that technology goes, you have a bass pack, you have a leg, you have like a throat thing it's hot when you just walk in front of a light in vr and then it gets cool as you walk away like it's gonna get like bodysuit level very soon i believe and it's gonna be to a point where like 
it's going to help a lot of people like you know, can't be at a birthday party or something they're going to be able to enjoy this experience as if they were right there it's going to be beautiful which we even saw at the super bowl with i think samsung or subaru or something where there was this immersive 3d non-vr mm-hmm. but similar scenario with like, troops and their families is beautiful like, there's going to be these good moments and there's going to be really bad moments you know where like you're 13-year-old kids, 400 pounds that thinks he's in Metallica, or your, your 17-year-old son's like, hey, I'll be married he keeps having success with, like, you know, Kim Kardashian, who's instead of some <laughs> of some, like, VR experiences where you're the guy, you know? And that's yeah. what's going to happen. So it's like, with every good thing that happens, it's a bad thing. And as long as, and, and that's when we realize, like, it's not about, like, society raising our expectations or lowering them or raising my children, like, I have to raise my children to know that there's, you know, there's beer, there's alcohol, there's sex, there's drugs, there's morality, there's immorality. And, you know, they're going to have a curve that I don't have as they grow into their things. They're going to be like, oh, that's my old fashioned dad versus going, I can't believe my dad instilled this. I'm so glad I haven't done all of these things. I was able to achieve all of these things. And that's really my goal. But you're right. I think the VR thing is going to have a lot of like, very damaging effects in the gaming lackadaisical world it's also going to have a lot of beautiful effects and there's a mm-hmm. lot of people in the vr community that are know that porn and disgusting things and murder scenes and like all like dude everything you can imagine which is crazy yeah, everything yeah like you could be like dude i just always wanted to like stab an old lady and someone's gonna like give you the opportunity to like murder yeah, that's all, Westworld then, too, yeah. Then not go to jail. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a, we're almost there. Yeah. And so as you see in that, it's like there's a lot of bad people and there's a lot like a few good people, and I think there's a lot of people who are that to know stab an dummy. old lady. Yeah. Um, that, we can uh, title the episode. I've that never if wanted you like. to do that. <laughs> yeah, old lady gets stabbed on Break It Down podcast with Matt Carter. <laughs> Only in virtual reality. Uh, but yeah, it's just one of those things where it's going to be there. And there's a lot of cool people that are understanding that the porn industry, just like movies, just like the internet, is going to be a huge industry. And they're actively working to equalize that and know that they can't stop it. So let's just make sure there's enough light where, where there's a lot of dark. And I, and mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. And I think that's really important. Yeah, it's a brave way to look at it. You just got to hang in there and do it and not resist the technologies. I mean, 100%. You know, I have another whole thought, which we'll get into another time, of just I think we're in the most dangerous time of all to get out of the technology loop. Like, we have the potential to be the biggest lame duck generation of all time, I believe, people that are our age do. I really do believe that. So I think, you know, you just can't lean out of technology and say, oh, it's for the kids. You just, you might could have gotten away with that in previous centuries and decades. You won't yep. be able to in the future. Or you, nope. you just can't. And no generations below us, I believe they'll all be very adoptive of new technologies always. You know 100%. what I'm saying? So that, that one gap of people like us that grew up at the time we did without the internet before this tech revolution we're in the, yep. the most danger of anybody of being obsolete 100%. beings but anyway right. thank you for giving me your time on your vacation i hope you have a great time Dude, i'm enjoying you. this very much and we'll talk to you next week about whatever we can come up with it's my pleasure i'll talk to you soon see you guys next thursday thanks tim all right see you guys Okay, so you guys know the label, and you love the bands and the music, but the tooth and nail thing is much bigger than that. Now, the independent music scene has always been fueled by word of mouth, and with word of mouth comes stories and rumors and all the lore that make up its culture. But we were literally walking to Taco Bell to get food, 
And he just stopped off in a dumpster in the Taco Bell parking lot and was like pulling food out. So no doubt you've heard rumors and some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and some of the stuff that's happened to the bands on the road. But how do you know what's true and what's not? Chad said, Chris, come with me, grab your acoustic guitar. And I didn't really know what we were up to. And he kind of threw me in this tent and there was people there. And I said, what am I doing here? And he said, well, you're going you're gonna to play dashboard songs. People are going to love this. So join me, Matt Carter, and Toby Morrell from Emory. And so trying to find them and meet up with them and get a hold of them was just unbelievable. And Aaron Lunsford from As Cities Burn. You're going to come on tooth and nail. You're going to be the next under oath. It's going to be awesome. We're going to investigate the stories. There was a point in time where I was getting Bible verses yelled at me, and I just thought, this is ridiculous. At that point, I was like, let's go home, because this is not where I want to be. And we talked to the artist. said, like, I could leave if you'd rather. <laughs> <laughs> we talked to the A&R guys, the tour managers, the producers, everybody involved. And I'm like, am I the only one who's hearing this story right now? Am I taking crazy pills? Like, why don't you just borrow someone's cell phone? <laughs> so we're excited to announce labeled the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. Season 1 is coming soon, so subscribe right now on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can just search labeled or Tooth & Nail Podcast. See you soon. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book nerds. nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading. reading! This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.